Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Center of Everywhere podcast. I'm Marnie Werner, and I'm the Vice President of Research at the Center for Rural Policy and Development. We are a private, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization based in rural Minnesota, where we are dedicated to providing data-driven research on rural issues to help our policymakers make more informed decisions affecting the rural people and places of our state. And today... I'm with my colleague, senior researcher Kelly Ash, and we're going to be talking about our annual State of Rural Minnesota report. So, hi, Kelly. How are you doing? Hey, good, Marnie. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to talk about what I found this year. Yeah, you were digging up all sorts of interesting information and data, the new data that's coming out. Um, this is a report that we do every year, basically at the end of the, the calendar year. And so we're just going to be releasing it this week. And we were talking about this earlier that often every year when we do this, uh, we have the trends. We look at population. We look at economic trends. We look at trends in agriculture. And things don't change that much. You know, they may go up a percent on a percent, something like that. Nothing very dramatic. This year is totally different. And there's some weird disruption things going on because of the pandemic. What's going on? Yeah, this was a pretty fascinating research project for this year. Like you said, usually the state of rural is something we do kind of at the end of the year. You know, it's approaching holiday break. Everybody's at home, no one's in meetings and no one's answering email. So it's a really great time to just kind of dig through all the updated data that got updated by all of our sources, you know, be it the Bureau of Economic Analysis, Labor Statistics, or the Census, they all have updated their most recent data. So it's a great time to kind of dig in, update all of our data and kind of figure out like, all right, what would we see? There was a couple of interesting things that made this year particularly, I think, um, unique. So one was when we did this last year, we were just coming out of the pandemic and a lot of the secondary sources that we use from the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the census, all their data was delayed. So they hadn't, there wasn't much to update last year. There was not a lot of new data. And so this was the first year in which we actually got like two years of data over the duration of one year. Um, because they kind of caught up. So they caught up from the pandemic years and they caught up to where they should have been anyway at this time. So, okay. so it was a really interesting point in, 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 in that. And due to the pandemic, the data itself, the migration trends, the economic trends, just some of these things that have been kind of longstanding, slow moving trends are all of a sudden occurring at a much higher, quicker, faster rate uh, than we've typically seen in previous years. And so usually it's a, this project is, you know, about tweaking some words here and there, changing a percent or two. And this is the first time in quite a few years, we've had to rewrite entire sections because we've had a total 180 in the typical trends that we've seen. So um, migration was the big one. And I don't know if we want to dig right in or how you want to proceed, but that was probably the biggest surprise. Well, usually when we talk about population growth and migration in Minnesota, we're talking about um, 
we're talking about natural change and migration. Those are the two drivers of population. Natural change is basically births minus deaths. There are parts of Minnesota where you have more births than deaths, and so the population grows there. You also have parts of Minnesota, uh, often in the more rural areas, where you have more deaths than births, and so you have a, a natural population decline. But then you have migration, and there are people who are moving into the state, people moving out of the state, and then people moving around in the state. And like what you're saying, oftentimes we, you know, it stays pretty steady. But this year, we saw a lot of moving around in the state, and it wasn't for the usual re reasons. We have people migrating to the metro area for school or for jobs. We have people migrating to the lakes, uh, lake counties in north central minnesota for retirement that didn't happen this time what's what was going on yeah so it was really really fascinating to look what we uh, the data that we look at is called the components of change and it's produced by the u.s uh, census bureau uh, and it's using population estimates and they have modeling and survey work that they do to produce these these kinds of estimates but uh, they do. They break it down into two two reasons why populations change, right? You either have natural change, so you have more births than deaths, which means you would have an increase, or more deaths than births, so you have a decline in, in population. And the other driver is migration. Do you have more people migrating into your area or out of your area? That then impacts a region's population numbers. And there were two kind of main things I'll talk about when we looked at these numbers. The first being a huge 180 in migration. Um, so between 2010 and 2019, our more rural areas of the state typically saw a decline in migration. So you saw this kind of slow trickle out migration. So the net migration in our rural areas meant more people were leaving than coming in. So between 2010 and 2019, uh, our most rural areas saw a decline of about 276 people per year due to out migration. But between 2020 and 2021, they saw an increase of 518, like just, just a total 180, right? So not only is it not declining, they're in the positive, but they're in the positive by like three times, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's, that's huge. Uh, we saw this in our town rural mix counties. So counties, we're using our rural urban uh, commuting area uh, codes here. So town rural mix, um, between two, 2010, 2019, they typically saw about a thousand people annually out migrate, net out migrate from the, their counties. They saw an increase of 2,600 people between 2020 and 2021. Our urban town rural mix annually between 2010, 2019, they saw a positive, but it's only like 200 people per year of people in migrating. Between 2020, 2021, it was 5,500 people. And then the real kicker are entirely urban areas. So this is a seven county metro plus some ur our, our urban areas in greater Minnesota, like uh, Blue Earth County. Um, mm -hmm. They typically saw an increase of in-migration annually of 11,000 people. Between 2020 and 21, they saw a decline of nearly 20,000. So these are completely opposite numbers of what we saw between 2010 and 2019. But when you separate out those greater Minnesota urban counties, 
because those counties are like Blue Earth County, St. Louis County with Duluth, Olmstead County with Rochester, uh, you know, Moorhead, East Grand Forks, Stearns. Yeah. Um, when you take those out and you compare those to just the seven county metro area, what happened there? Yeah, really interesting. Um, so we're going to call them entirely urban outside of the seven county metro. They actually still saw in migration gains, not at the level that they've seen previous years. You know, it was like between two and three thousand people between 2020 and 2021. It was a seven county metro that lost 20,000 people um, due to out migration, a net out migration of people. I mean, just really fascinating uh, numbers. I, I, I. I get excited about this because, you know, when we look at trends, you know, Marnie and I, you know, we see these numbers and they're always really slow, right? Like these trends mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, if anything's changing, it's a slow change. You might see something declining and then kind of plateau and then this kind of slow increase. You rarely see just the, uh, an event that disrupts something so much that all of a sudden you go from a negative to a positive or a positive to a negative over the course of one or two years, right? Like, and by that crazy. much, by that much, exactly. Yeah, yeah um, that's significant. So, you know, we kind of wrote in our state of rural that anecdotally, people have been saying they're seeing these things change. They feel like they're rural communities. There's more people moving in. You talk to real estate agents; they've been talking about uh, seeing more interest in living in more rural areas of the state. And the data finally confirms, I think, what everybody's kind of been feeling and maybe seeing. Uh, and so that was pretty exciting. Yeah. So what are, what are the implications for rural communities to see these kinds of, of numbers? What do local officials need to be thinking about? Yeah. So I think the first thing uh, is that, one, understand your own narrative. Are you a town that's dying? Is it the fact that nobody wants to live in your town? I think you really got to start questioning the prevailing narrative that has existed for quite a few decades now in terms of the desire to live in our rural small towns. Um, and it's worth noting too, that uh, kind of going back to the migration change, it wasn't just in our recreational lake areas. We were actually seeing counties that are largely agricultural, Renville, Handy, Ohio, um, Southwest Minnesota, like counties there that were seeing increases in their, their population that have seen declines for 20 years uh, ongoing. Uh, and so uh, we actually have counties that, since 2010 have had a lower population since then than they had in 2010, all of a sudden shift. And now they have a higher population than they did in 2010. Huge change. I bring this up because again, going back to that narrative, I think a lot of the ongoing trends have shown that, well, people just want to live around lakes or, you know, they like the recreation. I think this is starting to show that people actually just like a small town for maybe just quietness or slower pace of life, right? Affordable housing was probably a big piece. So from a leader's perspective that live in these communities are thinking about these things, I think you got to be thinking about one, how are you promoting your area as a place to live in? Because now rural areas are being looked at in the marketplace as a place, a desirable place to live. So how are we promoting it? Do we have housing stock for them? Do we have childcare? for these people. And then how are we connecting these people that are moving to our real areas with the local jobs? Because there's probably too this, this kind of dilemma in which, yeah, people are moving to our rural areas, but they kept their jobs in the Twin Cities and are working online. So that's not going to help our job vacancy uh, statistics, or, you know, or, or the number of jobs that are available in our area and to help our employers. 
So I think there's a lot of things to think about. And again, I think it's our ongoing message to everybody in Minnesota is stop thinking about economic development in terms of how do we get more jobs and start thinking about it on how do we take advantage of this trend of people moving to rural areas. Right. And, and just talking about jobs, we saw a big change with job vacancies too, right? Or not a big change, but like a kind of a big blip in the trend. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We've been talking about job vacancies for years and they've been high mm-hmm. for a long time, particularly the job mm-hmm. vacancy rate, which again, for people that don't know, the job vacancy rate is the number of jobs available divided by the total filled jobs. And so the higher the percentage is kind of a, like a good like measurement on how difficult it's going to be to fill those jobs. And um, <clears throat> I think what we saw in 2020s, you kind of saw like we had high job vacancy rates and then they took a little bit of a dip. So they were around five, six, seven percent in each of our regions around rural Minnesota, uh, a job vacancy rate around six or seven percent. And again, we consider three percent to be healthy. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and there was this dip and it didn't go negative. Like it didn't go below three percent. It was still at like three, four percent. So still like what we would consider healthy or high, but it did dip. And then when it opened up in 2021, oh my goodness, it's just, we have regions now that are hovering around 10% job vacancy rate, which is absolutely insane. And again, I think it just came to, you know, a lot of businesses got shut down. There was a lot of uncertainty. People were laid off for a little while there. And all of a sudden things opened up and people had money in their pockets. The economy just took off. It roared, uh, which is kind of one of the reasons we have inflate, high inflation right now, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh Employers were looking, employers were looking hired. They needed people product, uh, production up again to get things distributed, uh, to serve people. And then you had healthcare and all these others that were trying to hire. And it, it was crazy. Uh, and I think it still is, still is pretty crazy. Well, with vacancy rates, you know, up at eight, nine, 10%. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. When oh, yeah. does that get to be a, a, a crisis point, you know, for the local economy? I don't know. And I think this is something that, you know, we probably need to do some research on, but I think a lot of economists haven't quite wrapped their head around yet. I, this is the first time that I don't know, I can think of maybe Marty, you can think of a time you're more of a history person than I am of when we've had more jobs than people. I just, I don't know on a statewide yeah. level, maybe little pockets, you know, when the mines opened and things like that and historic in the history of the creation of Minnesota when there was more jobs than people and we were having immigrants come over. But this is the first time we're like systematically across all occupations, across all industries, we have more jobs than the people that are trained to do those jobs or the just flat out the number of people that even fill these jobs and uh, trained or untrained. Right. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I don't know what this looks like in the future. I think, you know, we're seeing wages increase again. We saw that in the state of rural wages continue to increase. Uh, I think in, definitely in response to employers trying to fill these 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 positions. <clears throat> uh, so that's good to see. Uh, labor by far has the most leverage slash power than it's had. I don't know modern day history that I could think of in modern times. I mean, I don't know. It's funny. I think anecdotally we can all talk think about our friends who are like, oh yeah, we can just ask for time off now. We just get it. Like mm-hmm. they don't care. Like yeah, you just, just don't quit. You know, don't leave the job, whatever you need. We'll yeah. make it work, right? Um, <clears throat> so economically, I don't know. Like wages keep going up. Inflation is tough. 
you know, productivity is going to be slow. We're going to continue to see things, you know, not entirely stocked on our shelves. I think in the for mm -hmm. in the foreseeable future, anyway, it's just going to be a different way of living. I know they keep talking about recessions and economic downturn, but I just don't know, and I don't think anyone does, what that looks like in low unemployment. <laughs> so. And the recession thing, it really depends on who you ask or who you're listening to. Some people, you know, do the whole sky is falling thing and others are like, well, we might, but it won't be big, you know? And I think it's, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I get the sense too. It's people either accept that we're in a major transition period. And granted, this is a, a period that I think we've been talking about, not we, but like this, old state demographers in Minnesota have been talking mm -hmm. about for 20 years now, maybe longer. Right. This yeah. was coming. The baby boomer generation is going to leave the labor force and there's not enough people <laughs> to continue the economic growth, particularly when you shut off the faucet for immigration. And I'm going to rail yeah. on immigration policy forever and ever until somebody fixes it because it's insane to me um, that we have an economy that needs more people if we yeah. want to kind of have the the quality of life at the prices that we wanted for a long time. But moving forward, I mean, yeah, so I think there's economists that understand we're in a major transitional period and that not necessarily the sky is falling, but things are definitely going to change. It's going to look different moving forward. Economic growth, what we expect that percentage to be is probably going to be a little different. Um, and then there's the people that like, if it's not how it's always been over the last 40, 50 years, the sky is falling. That's kind of the sense. Yeah. I get, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. You're either like open to the change or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people handle change better than others. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, we just have to ride with it, you know, and yeah. And so we do still have, you know, we, we do still have lots of jobs in rural Minnesota. Um, one thing that we noticed that may or may not have been something affected by the pandemic was you saw a shift in the top employers around the state, right? Yeah. So for many, many years now, education and health services has been the top employment industry across Minnesota, both seven county metro, northern Minnesota, uh, in Southern Minnesota, health and education services typically makes up 20 to 40% of employment in a county. Um, so it's a big sector. So we expect that to be in a majority of counties across the state. And then there is always these little nuances. So in Northern Minnesota, we would typically see leisure and hospitality be a top employer uh, in, in quite a few counties. I would say around seven to 10 counties would have that as their top employment industry. But in 2021, there was a shift in Leisure and hospitality is only the top employment industry in two counties now, which is very different than it was two years ago or pre-pandemic where it was, you know, like I said, closer to the seven counties. Um, and again, I think that's probably due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's probably two things, right? The pandemic really hurt, maybe hurt some of those industries, but I also think just competition for labor. I think right, yeah. the increase in wages and, and health, I think even in the service industry in general, if you're not able to keep up with wages, as probably many kind of tourist type sites are, you're probably hurting. <clears throat> and tour leisure and hospitality just aren't going to be able to compete as a top employment industry because, you know, you're fighting for labor that can pay, you know, with other industries that pay a lot more. 
And so it's so easy for somebody to be like, yeah, see you later, waitressing job. I'm going over here to get, you know, double my money per hour and not have to deal with people. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a no brainer. Um, so I, I believe it's that. And then the third thing I, I would probably say is that I think tourism hospitality, particularly in northern Minnesota, where they depend a lot on uh, visa workers, um, that got shut down pretty hardcore during the pandemic where they weren't allowed to get as many as they usually did. So that probably hurt them as well. It's like, well, if we don't get visa workers, there's no one to turn to. So we're just not going to employ anyone. Um, so I think we saw a couple things there. But Outside of that, yeah, uh, farm employment and also manufacturing, trade, transportation, utilities continue to be uh, top employment industries, particularly in the southern half of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, you mentioned farm employment, but also we track uh, self-employment, which is called non-employers with the Bureau and Bureau of Economic Analysis. That just means that there are businesses that don't employ anybody except the, the owner and <clears throat> Those always tend to be higher in greater Minnesota, right? Yeah, I, I find it continues. I mean, this is a trend that did not get disrupted at all by the pandemic. It's one of those that stays very consistent. Uh, and I, I find it fascinating because I don't think a lot of people understand that rural Minnesota, our most rural areas of Minnesota have a really high percentage of total jobs. So if you took all the jobs and then the number of those, uh, not the number of those, but the number of self-employed uh, as a percentage of the total jobs in the region, it's always really high in an entirely rural area. So in 20, the most recent data is 2020, it was 14 and a half percent of the total oh. jobs uh, 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 in our entirely rural counties are not employers, which is really interesting, uh, where in our entirely urban areas, it's closer to 10%. Okay. So it's just all those little one man, one woman businesses. Yeah. And it's very, you see it significantly higher uh, in Northern Minnesota where you have 17 and a half to 20% of, mm. you know, if we were to add the total jobs and the total number of self-employed folks, mm -hmm. the percentage of that is, is 17 to 20%. Cool. And then we have, uh, we have agriculture and that's agriculture is always a roller coaster, especially when we're looking at ag income. What was new or different with that? You know, they've been relatively kind of, I would say over the past few years, they've, you know, their expenses have been a little bit higher than their income. And so mm -hmm. they've been operating at a net loss, kind of like two out of the last three county or three years, right? Like the last two thirds, like since the peak in 2012 and 2013, they've been kind of going back and forth. It's been a little bit up and down, but it hasn't been extreme, which has been good. Uh, and over the last few years, they've been seeing a nice net income where the, you know, the cash receipts that they've received from production is higher than their expenses. And that's good to see. And it's been a few mm -hmm. years of that now. Uh, and I think some of the government payments or the pandemic helped. I think there was, you know, a little, the people were worried uh, during the pandemic, how that was all going to shake out with the ethanol plants <clears throat> and the rise in prices, you know, having to slaughter pigs because we couldn't mm -hmm. get them to the, right. the butcher. Right. Um, so there was a lot of concern about like, oof, man, our egg industry could take a hit. And you know what? It it stayed, it stayed all right. Uh, and they're they're doing okay. It's not like, you know, I'm sure every farmer, not every farmer is doing great, but but uh at least we're seeing at a statewide aggregate level uh things being okay. Uh and I think that's actually, you know, one we got to give credit to the government for making sure that that market stabilized and stayed well. I don't think the government and the support systems in place get enough credit for making sure egg markets are 
are somewhat stable, particularly during a pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. But as well as, you know, credit to our farmers figuring out how to navigate this whole situation, uh, uh, particularly with supply chain issues and stuff like that. So, so kudos. Right. Yeah. So what's, what's the big takeaway from this year's report? Well, I think this is a perfect, like perfect storm. You know, it's a, a combination of the pandemic and demographic shifts that we've been talking about for 20 years, all occurring at the same time and having a pretty disruptive impact on long-term trends, like trends that we've been seeing for 20 years, no longer being the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think the big takeaway is one, yep, we're seeing that now. We're seeing, we've been talking about it for a few years now, and now we're really starting to see it in the data. It exists. This thing is happening. I think the other thing though, is like, how will this continue? I, I, I'm really curious to see over the next few years, will these, will this change in migration, you know, stick or was just this kind of a blip? Will this change in uh, employment? Uh, is that just a blip or is that, is that going to continue? So it'll be really interesting moving forward what this looks like. And I'm kind of excited for the next few years. Cool. Well, great. Well, that is our state of rural Minnesota report. We're going to get it up on the website this week. You'll be able to find it at ruralmn.org. And that's it for this episode. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Thank you, Marnie. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Everywhere.